Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul, telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophet are in agreement with this, as it is written, After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Todd. Well, welcome to Twilliger Community Church. I just extend my welcome to you, especially if you are visiting with us this morning. Um, it's good to be together today. My name is Adam Beyer. I am one of the pastors here at TCC. Um, our senior pastor, our lead pastor, Norb Jenke, is on sabbatical. So uh, please remember him and his family in prayer as he comes to mind. And he'll be back uh, at the end of November. Well, it was the spring, I believe, of 2011 where I got a phone call from Camp Caroline, and they were asking if my wife and I would consider doing another full summer, so four months, out at camp um, that summer. And I remember my wife and I being like, oh man, like we're married, we have an apartment, we have rent to pay, we have um, responsibilities and jobs and all these things, and this question kept stirring in us, like, is this something we should say yes to? It was the type of decision for us that we kind of kept us awake at night. It was the type of decision for us that we found ourselves talking about all of the time, wondering, is this what we should do? Is this what God is leading us into? We were filled with questions around that particular issue. Similarly, a few years later, I remember when I felt the Lord calling me into ministry. And again, I had just finished up my, my apprenticeship as a carpenter. I'd just gotten my Red Seal uh, certificate as a carpenter. So I'm beginning my career. My wife and I are putting money away uh, in hopes to buy a house someday soon. And the Lord's calling to ministry. He's calling us to go to Bible college. Do we pack up all of our things, move cities, drain our bank accounts to begin this new calling, this new thing that the Lord has for us? Again, the type of decision that kept us awake at night, something that kept us very prayerful, asking, Lord, is this what you want us to do? And I remember a time in Bible college when I just was full of questions about the Lord, questions about his character, questions about the church. There were things in scripture that I was confused about. There were things I was seeing in the church that didn't make sense to me. I was full of questions. I was full of doubt. I was full of frustration. What do we do with those questions, with those doubts? When we feel like we're standing at a crossroads in life, when we're looking at two different opportunities and we want to do the right thing, how do we make the choice? 
How do, we, how do we discern what God is up to in our lives and where he might be leading us into? If you're just finishing up high school, you're probably asking questions about what, what university should I go to? What career should I pursue? Should I do a gap year? If you're a little bit older, maybe you're looking at a career change. Maybe you're looking at a shift in your life where everything seems to be changing and every, every choice that you could make has all sorts of different consequences related to it. And you're just wondering what is the best way forward. You're trying to discern the path ahead. Or maybe you're full of questions, life questions, questions about God, questions about how should you live your life. Questions about, well, how should I think about certain issues? How should I come to conclusions about things the world are saying and things I believe to be true in the Bible? How do I reconcile seeming inconsistencies between the two? Part of being human means that we have lots of questions. Part of being human means that we come across various crossroads in our path. Well, this morning, I want us to walk through Acts chapter 15. Because in Acts chapter 15, we see the early church wrestling with a pretty significant question. They too were at a bit of a crossroads. They too had people within their congregation who had some doubts, some questions of God. They too had to navigate what I would actually consider to be a fairly significant and difficult situation. So what I want to do is go through this text And then afterwards, pull out some principles for us. Because I really believe that in the way that the early church navigated this situation, um, we see some principles that help us to do it. And and what I want to get to in our time this morning is this idea that as we navigate significant decisions or difficult questions in our lives, we should do so in the company of the Spirit of God and in community. So let's set the stage for us in Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, we have the early church uh, suddenly confronted with this question. At this point in Acts, we've seen the gospel has gone to the Gentiles. Uh, I believe that's Acts chapter 10. Uh, And if you have a Bible this morning, this is a great morning to have your Bible open on your lap because we'll be jumping around a little bit. In Acts chapter 10, this, this thing happens for Peter where suddenly God is saying, Peter, the gospel needs to go to the Gentiles. And his mind is kind of blown about that. After that narrative, we move in to see how Luke demonstrates the outworking of Acts chapter 10. We see the gospel going to the Gentiles in Antioch. And then we see the gospel going um, on mission into Turkey uh, with with Paul and Barnabas. And the gospel is just going to the Gentiles, to these non-Jewish people who come to believe that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Now, this, for us, as we read this, we get really excited, but I think we miss um, what's going on in the early church. Because in the early church, we have to remember, they're primarily Jewish. That's how they started off. And there's some people among these new believers who are watching what's happening with with these new Gentile believers, and they're saying, hey, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're okay with these people coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but what about the law? They aren't circumcised. They aren't obeying our food laws. They aren't observing our feasts. we got to figure this out. So this question emerges within the context of the early church. Should Gentiles be required to keep the Jewish law? Now for us today, we're we're taking advantage of a couple 
uh, several hundreds of years of history. We don't ask this question um, in the same way that they did. But here we see the church really wrestling with this. So much so that Paul and Barnabas and many others traveled to Jerusalem to deal with this question. Now Luke makes it, I think, really easy for us to navigate through this text. And he presents for us four different speakers So just a really brief word on each of the speakers uh, that'll move us kind of from the beginning of the text to the end of the text. The first group of speakers is the Messianic Pharisees. And we read in verse 5 of chapter 15, some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So this Messianic group of Pharisees speak up and they say, These new believers, these new Gentile believers, they need to observe the Torah. Now, I think it's difficult a little bit for us uh, to imagine what these Pharisees are feeling. Now, the Pharisees believed that the Messiah would come through strict Torah observance. So the, the more you kept to the teachings of the Old Testament, the more likely the Messiah was going to come. So imagine their whole lives from being just little boys and girls growing up with this belief that we have to keep the whole law. This is what it is all about, is strict observance of the law. And now Jesus comes in and kind of blows their minds a little bit with how they understood the law. But they're left with these questions. What are they to do with this history? What are they to do with the Torah? So they bring up this issue. They are the first speakers presenting the question to the rest. Our second speaker is Peter. Now Peter gets up and he He talks about how the inclusion of the Gentiles apart from obedience um, to the law was a work of God. So he responds to the Gentiles basically by pointing out what God has already done. And Peter again masterfully kind of outlines this for us. The first thing he points out is that it was actually God's choice that the Gentiles become part of the church community. It was God's choice that this was happening. This, This wasn't Peter's choice. This wasn't Paul or Barnabas' choice. This wasn't the effort of man, but it was the effort of God that brought the Gentiles into the community. In addition to this, Peter talks about how God not only makes the choice that they come in, but God confirms it. How does God confirm it? Well, he blesses the Gentiles with the Holy Spirit. Um, Peter stands up and says says to them, uh, God makes the choice, and that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe, And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. So Peter's saying, look, guys, you you who are Jews, you who are circumcised, how did God affirm you? Well, he gave you the Holy Spirit. Well, in the same way, God is giving the Gentiles the Holy Spirit without circumcision. And he goes on uh, kind of with a final point. By saying that it is God who is at work. God is the one who is working. He's given them the Holy Spirit. In verse 9, And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts. By what? By circumcision? No. By observing the law? No. But by faith. So Peter here is speaking out to the group, pointing to what God has done. And the thrust of his argument is that salvation is not by works. But salvation is through grace. Now our third speakers are Barnabas and Paul who stand up and add to all that Peter is saying. And in verse 12 we read that they say, um, the, so, so the assembly 
falls silent and they listen to Barnabas and Paul. As Barnabas and Paul relate what signs and wonders God had done through, God had done through them among the Gentiles. So here we have them getting up and just giving testimony. They're saying, guys, the, the church is alive amongst the Gentiles. The spirit is at work amongst the Gentiles and they are not circumcised. And then finally, we have James. Now this James is the brother of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 12, we see James has actually taken position as the kind of the senior pastor of the Jerusalem church. So here's, here's the guy. Here's the guy who's in charge. Uh, he's the one who everyone is looking to for leadership, likely on this issue. And Luke describes James giving, um, offering confirmation from Scripture as well as delivering a verdict. So James points to the book of Amos and a prophecy in Amos. Uh, that talks about the rebuilding of the tent of David. And from what we can understand, that James is looking at this, and he believes that the tent of David is, is Jesus, or some scholars wonder if it's the church. And this idea of this rebuilding happening, and then the remnant of all mankind come and seek the Lord through, through Jesus or through the church. So James is looking at Scripture and saying, look guys, God is at work in this way. So he gives his verdict. James's verdict is that salvation is in Jesus alone. However, some conditions remain as a concession to the consciousness of others. So what we have James giving here in verse 19, he says, Here's my judgment, is that we should not trouble those, those of the Gentiles who turn to the Lord, but we should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. And so he gives his judgment. They don't need to be circumcised. They don't need to follow the law strictly. But there are some things they need to consider. If we were to summarize this portion of scripture and the kind of the summary statements here, it's that the gospel is not Jesus plus. So uh, it's not this idea of you have to be circumcised to become a Christian. uh, But rather our faith in Jesus is what brings salvation. And the second thing we see the early church doing is prioritizing fellowship over fragmentation. And so it's interesting when we look at um, the abstaining that is required, and we see that it's not an essential Christian duty, uh, but as a concession to the consciousness of others who still regarded such food as unlawful and abominable in the sight of God. So here we see the early church trying to encourage fellowship amongst the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. So this is our text this morning. We see the early church wrestling through an important decision that needs to be made. But I believe the process that they engage in to address this issue is helpful for us as we journey through questions or significant decisions in our own lives. As you and I seek to discern God's best for our lives, I believe there's some helpful tips for us in this passage. And I believe it's summarized for us in verse 28. And verse 28 is the middle of James's letter um, to the Gentile churches. And very simply, he writes that it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. On this verse, I want to talk on these just kind of two big headings. The first is that we need to discern with the help of community. And the second is that we need to discern with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So discern with the help of community and discern with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. 
I absolutely love in verse 28 that James can write a letter where he says that it seemed good to us. Seemed good to all of us. This church in Jerusalem took the time to wrestle through a difficult issue and come out on the other side with a consensus. And I think similarly, as they came together to consider this issue, you and I rightly come together with friends, with family, with the significant issues that we find ourselves dealing with. I think we need to discern, first of all, with the help of our communities. Discern with the help of our community. I think what, something we see in this text is that they considered the testimony of others. They considered the testimony of others. Peter, Paul, and Barnabas all got up and spoke and shared all that God had been doing in the midst of the Gentile community. Each one of them could testify to God being at work in a powerful way. They pointed to past events and they testified to how God had been working in the midst of the Gentile believers. When I think about my own life and some of those illustrations that I opened up with, it's amazing to me how helpful the testimony of Christian brothers and sisters have been for me. I remember specifically that decision to go to school. You know, that was a big financial decision. (laughs) Am I willing to drain my bank account? Am I willing to set aside years of carpentry training, the hours of investment, the the money that was spent to get the education? Like this is, it didn't seem responsible to me. And I remember really thinking about the financial weight of going back to post-secondary education um, and and pursuing a new career already in my mid-twenties. But it was the testimony of friends that really helped me have peace around this. I remember friends telling me about their own journeys, about times when they were challenged to make um, big financial, take big financial risks. Times that they had to trust the Lord with finances in ways that they were not comfortable with. But their testimony was of God's provision. Their testimony was of God's care. Their testimony was how God worked in the midst of those situations. So it was the testimony of friends that helped me in navigating some of that decision. In addition to considering others' testimonies, I think we rightly consider the advice of others. We rightly consider the advice of others. Something that's fascinating to me about this passage in verse 15 is Peter's use of logic. Peter comes back to the Pharisees and he hits them with some pretty strong logic um, in verse 10. In verse 10 of chapter 15, Peter says, Why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Peter is asking the Pharisees to consider their own argument. Peter is asking them to really think hard about what they're asking of these Gentile believers. And his point to them is like, look guys, you are not able to do what you are asking these Gentile believers to do. So why on earth are you asking them to do it? That's a pretty sound, logical, there's some reasoning around that, right? Again, I think of our own journeys When we are facing significant decisions or when we are facing difficult questions, how good it is for us to present those to friends, to present those to a Christian community and get some feedback. Maybe there's something in our thinking that we're missing. Maybe there's an element of 
of the conclusion we're drawing that we haven't considered, that someone else can offer some perspective on. Our culture has become so individualistic. We feel like it's maybe not a good thing to ask for help for some reason. But I wonder when we are trying to navigate these difficult situations or we're trying to navigate complex questions on our own, if we're really shortchanging ourselves, how good it is to come together with trusted friends and get counsel from them. Now, the Old Testament is full of warnings that you should not keep company with fools. <laughs> and so we also rightly pay attention to who it is we're getting counsel from. And when I think about this, I, I just want to encourage you. Um, we all need to be doing life in the context of Christian community. You should look around this room and not just see fellow worshipers. You should look around this room and not just see um, others who are, are worshiping Jesus, who have the same faith as you, or maybe someone that goes to the same church as you. But my prayer for you to Williger Community Church is that you would look around this room and see friends. See people that you can not only know on a Sunday, but people you can actually walk through life with. That you can look around this room and know that if you have a burden that's heavy on your heart, there's someone here who is going to bear that burden with you. That you, if you have a need, be it practical or spiritual, whatever it is, that there's someone in this room who wants to help you meet that need. I'm really excited uh, in the fall we're going to be talking a lot more about the church and about Christian community. But in the context of this, this passage this morning, I invite you to consider, um, as you look to the fall, is it time for you to join a small group? Is it time for you to invest more time uh, with fellow believers, people that you can do life with? That you can journey through some of life's um, experiences alongside. Something else we talk a lot about here at Twilliger Community Church is triads. Which is really simple, th- simply three people who have committed to journeying through life together. And they sit down and they have that intentional time. They ask one another, how, how are they doing? What's going on in their lives? And it's in these types of contexts that we can seek the testimony of friends. We can seek the advice of other Christians We can learn from their um, experiences. And on this note, I believe, too, that our friends can help us sort through our experiences. Our friends can help us sort through our experiences. Now, something I've witnessed a lot of people do, and I know I've experienced myself, is navigating through whether it is um, significant, um, sorry, whether it's dealing with difficult decisions that need to be made or dealing with significant questions It's very easy for our experiences to become king, for our experiences to be the only thing on which we are coming to conclusions. People will often uh, talk about experiences of having heard the Lord speak or having had experiences in in one context or another, and it's that experience alone that is, is kind of informing the way that they live their lives. Now, experiences are good. I need us to understand that. I'm not saying that experiences are bad. But we need to be careful that they don't become some sort of trump card. There's a huge difference between saying to someone that I heard God speak, opposed to saying, well, I really sense the Lord's leading in, one, in this direction, right? From the first statement, I heard God speak, you kind of make it impossible for anyone to comment on what you're saying. Because who am I to stand against what God says? But I have to say that I believe that, that God has been said to have said... <laughs> 
A lot of things that he probably never said. And a phrase like, I believe God said, I think is one that is so easily abused in Christian contexts as a way to make others think or feel or do something that maybe God really isn't interested in them doing at all. So we need to be careful when we relay these experiences to others and talk about them humbly. The Apostle Paul warns us about basing decisions exclusively on experience. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says that we need to be careful because the enemy, the devil himself, masquerades as an angel of light. Could you imagine having an experience with an angel of light? That would be amazing. But Paul's saying, be careful. Test it. Don't just base truth on that. We need to recognize that we are vulnerable to our experiences. And that our experiences need to be tested. And our experiences should not solely bear the weight of our conclusions. Now what I love about this is, this is what we're seeing happen in Acts 15. The Pharisees are rightfully questioning the experience of Paul and Peter. I want to say that again. The Pharisees are rightfully questioning the experience of Paul and Peter. They're saying, hey guys, wait a minute. Let's think about this. Are we sure that we're doing away with circumcision? Circumcision's a big deal, and it is a big deal. Are you sure we're ready to do that? And so they take the experience, and they weigh it. They talk about testimony. They talk about scripture. They talk about how God is at work in their community. And they come to a conclusion where it seemed right to them. All of them. And the Holy Spirit. So we need to discern with the help of community. We consider the testimony of friends. We consider the advice of our Christian community. And we allow our friends to speak into the experiences that we're having as we seek to draw conclusions. Second though, we need to discern with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Not only did it seem right to us, the Jerusalem church, but it seemed right to them and to the Holy Spirit. Acts 15 does not record for us this powerful prayer meeting. Uh, There's no portion in the text where they go away and do some silence and solitude and then come back. But the way that James is describing their situation is, I don't believe for a second, he, he believes wholeheartedly, James believes wholeheartedly that the Holy Spirit was in the midst of that entire process. The Holy Spirit led them on this journey of discernment. Friends, it is good for us to invite Jesus into our decision making. Seems kind of obvious, doesn't it? (laughs) It is good for us to invite Jesus into our decision making. It is good for us to invite Jesus into our questions. It's good for us to invite Jesus into our transitions. And I need to say that we have to resist the urge to leave Jesus out of these things. Part of being Christian, part of looking at Jesus and calling him Lord is saying, you are that. You are the Lord of my life. Jesus, I want to live in submission to what you have for me. I want to do the things you want me to do. To illustrate this point, I just really quick, I'm going to jump around here. um, Because I think in our human condition is the temptation to not follow what Jesus wants for us. In our human condition is a desire to resist the urge to bring Jesus into the process. And this goes all the way back to Genesis. In Genesis, um, we have the fall of Adam and Eve. And um, scholars, um, and one particular biblical theologian named Vaughn Roberts, he points out that the sin of Adam and Eve was not simply that they ate the fruit and, um, and broke 
broke the rules kind of a thing. It wasn't simply a, a sin of law-breaking. But Von Roberts says that it was the sin of law-making. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, the tree that Adam and Eve ate from was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when the tempter came and tempted Eve, what did he tempt her with? He said, well, if you eat the fruit, you're actually going to be like God, knowing good and evil. So the temptation was not simply one to law break, but it was to law make, which means if I eat this apple, I will become the authority. I will become the one who determines what is good and what is evil. I will become the one who gets to decide what is best. That was the sin. Was reaching for that apple was a reach for power. Now this is a problem because God made us for himself. You know, as Augustine says, our hearts are restless until we rest in God. So when we take that spot of being the ones who determine what is good and evil, when we take that spot and we decide what is best for our lives, and we leave God out of it, we continue in the sin of Eve. We continue being law makers. And the problem with this is that if we really believe that in Jesus Christ is life and life abundant, not just in eternity, but today in the here and the now, when we reject Jesus' will, when we reject his way, we are rejecting the life abundant that God has for us. Now this is interesting when you consider our current cultural moment, right? Because it's all about you do you, you, know, you be the master of all that you want, to repress any feeling or emotion, to repress anything that you feel is just bondage and slavery. You need to just live and do everything that you feel you want to do. That is true freedom in the language of our culture. What's interesting in the language of the New Testament, that's called bondage and slavery. We enslave ourselves to our flesh. We are caught up in this state where we are the ones making the decision of what is good and what is evil. And we make a mess of it. God did not design us to bear the responsibility of determining good from evil. He determined it. And he told us what it is in his word. And as we faithfully live according to his word, we enter into that abundant life that Jesus made for us. So friends, we need to resist the urge to leave Jesus out of our decision making. I love the posture we read in the Psalms. In Psalm 23, we have the psalmist crying out, lead me in your paths of righteousness. Psalm 25, the psalmist writing, teach me your ways, O Lord. Guide me in your truth and teach me. Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord. Psalm 119, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And we get to the Gospels, and we watch Jesus live his life, the the perfect, sinless life. And Jesus said that he never did or said anything that he did not hear the Father tell him to do or say. He lived the abundant life. And he said to us in in John chapter 16, verse 13, that he was going to send us his Spirit to help us. So all throughout scripture, we have this story of people seeking after God's will and his way. And friends, that is the invitation to us. And what I love about this is it's a reflection that God desires to journey with us in our decision making. Jesus wants to walk with you as you navigate a difficult decision or a difficult question. 
Jesus wants to help you explore the various angles of what you're considering. He wants to help you come to a conclusion. He wants to lead you. Are you willing to follow? Upstairs this morning, our kids are talking about the importance of asking God for help. And as parents, we love that because we love when our kids ask us for help. We love when they ask us for permission. And, and when they don't ask us for permission or health, we call help, we call it rebellion. Um, but as we grow up to be adults, we kind of take that posture of our kids where I don't really want to ask mom and dad for help. I don't really want their opinion. But as our, as our children this morning are learning upstairs the importance of asking God for help, friends, I hope you're hearing me communicate that same truth to you today. We journey with God through our questions. How do we do that? Well, I believe that we hear the Spirit speak through Scripture. We hear the Spirit speak through Scripture. What does James appeal to to kind of drop the hammer at the end of their meeting in Jerusalem? He appeals to Scripture. Friends, God's will and his direction for your life, it begins in his word. It's passages like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's part of God's will for you. And we could go on and on unpacking the teaching of God's word and how you can apply it to your life. And then in our lives, we we come to things where maybe scripture doesn't seem to be clearly speaking to a career change or what school to put our kids in. But we still, we continue to submit those things to the Lord. And then we come and we listen to the Holy Spirit in prayer. We come with these questions. We come with these decisions. And we say, Lord, everything from, I'm looking at this career change. What do you have for me? Where's the place you want me to work? Where can I live out your word best? Which context is the one you're leading me to? Or, or Lord, I have two options of schools for my kids. And I got lots of concerns about both. Which one will you have me put them in? Or, or Lord, our, our family's really wrestling through this relational stuff. There's a lot of conflict. There's all this stuff going on with the siblings. And Lord, how do we navigate this family drama that's going on right now? We bring it to the Father. And we listen to Him speak. He might speak through His Word. I had a really funny experience to, to finish off our story about going to camp. Um, I had a friend who was, was wonderful and trying to speak advice into that situation. Do we go to camp? And he kept talking about camp as a mountain. It's like, you know, that's the mountaintop, Adam. You need, to, you need to live life in the valleys, right? I don't know if you've, you've heard that anyway. Um, and so I'm like listening to this and processing this. But there was this, this tug in my heart of like, yeah, I really want to, I think the Lord's leading us to camp. And I remember really wrestling and it was so funny. There's this one morning, I'm doing my morning devotions, and I am just reading through the Word, and I'm in Haggai, starting Haggai that morning, and, and Haggai chapter 1, verse 8 says, go up the mountain, <laughs> gather sticks, and bring it back to build the people of God. Now, is Haggai talking about me going to camp in summer 2011? Absolutely not. That is not what Haggai is getting at. Do I believe that the Holy Spirit of God was speaking to me through that text that morning and helping me make a decision about camp? Absolutely. God will speak through his word in maybe ways that we don't understand. Now again, I take that experience, bring it to friends, we pray together, 
And we had an amazing summer at camp. And that summer was one where God affirms his call of, of ministry in my life. So I am thankful for that discernment journey and that process. Well, I'm not sure how you are hearing this message this morning. Is there a decision that you are waiting to make right now? Is there a question that you've been holding on to for some time? Is there something that is causing you to feel unsettled in your life? My prayer for you this morning that you'll catch is that you will seek to arrive at the conclusion that it seemed right to us and the Holy Spirit. That you would do the hard work of discernment, not just trusting in an experience, not just saying, oh, I I got it figured out, I'm going to go do this, but doing the hard work of discernment, sitting in the company of friends, taking time to fast and pray and bring the questioning, bring the decisions to the Lord. And then as you do that, hold the outcome out to God. Say, God, I'm trusting you with this. You know, he may not answer right away. And he may not answer you in the way that you want him to. But our walks with Jesus are just that. It's a walk. So my hope is that you'll continue to journey with him in your questions. That you'll welcome the process. That you'll recognize that God is with you in the questioning and in the journey. God knows the outcome. And I love that God knew the outcome of Acts 15. Did you know that? God knew the outcome of that council. And when I read that, God did not just take the outcome and drop it on the laps of Peter and Paul and the Pharisees. No. There was a process. There was a journey. And I so often want the outcome to just drop in my hands. This is the thing I want you to do, Adam. Wouldn't it be great if there was like a a manual for your life? You know, the manual for Adam's life. This is great. But friends, if I had that manual, I would turn to that manual a lot more than I'd turn to God. God invites us to journey with him in the context of community by the power of his Holy Spirit. May we not reject that invitation. So I invite you to close your eyes. Let's pray together. I just encourage you to open your hands on your lap. Maybe there is a decision that you're facing this morning. Maybe there is a question, something you're wondering about. As you look to the fall, maybe there's anxiety and apprehension that rises up in you and you're wondering. You're wondering about what outcomes will be. But let's pray together and just surrender those to God. Jesus Christ, we surrender these decisions to you. Just take a moment to think of what those are. God, we surrender these decisions to you. And Lord, we thank you that you're with us in the process. As we ask questions. As we navigate different possible outcomes. But Jesus, as we trust these decisions decisions to you, we trust you for the outcome. Lord, it's our prayer that you would lead us in the way you want us to go. Teach us your ways, Jesus. We will follow. We praise you and thank you, Lord, for the work you are doing in us and the work you will do through us.